scripture reading today is taken from Joshua chapter 5. So Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraleth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until the nation, the men of war who had come out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna seized the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of God. Why do you still sometimes party with us? I thought you were a Christian now. Asked my puzzled friend. See, by trusting Jesus the previous summer, trusting him as God of both the universe and my life, and as the one who could forever forgive the big no in my heart, which Christians call sin, I had been delivered by trusting him, delivered from death, and into a new life. And I was excited about this. I was pumped. I was stoked. I was psyched. I wanted to be salt and light to my friends. I wanted to live a different sort of life that stops death in and adds flavor to their lives, leaving them wanting more, and specifically more Jesus. But while I had been given by God this new official status, God's child, an heir to the king, a Christian. My occasional penchant to still party with friends demonstrated I hadn't yet become what I was. And this is what happens when you begin and you live the Christian life. God works this process of helping you and I become what we are. 
There's a fancy word for it, used in the Bible, called sanctification. And it encapsulates this idea that we, we grow to look more like Jesus. Our lives start to look more like Jesus as we obey him more and more. Let me give you two different pictures to help us understand this a little better, okay? Uh, Richard Bolbring, he's our still quite new associate pastor, is back with uh, Children's Church today. He remarked to me this week how it's still odd for him to be called pastor. And that makes sense because on the one hand, the Holy Spirit has clearly chosen him to be an overseer, and the elders of the church have laid hands on him, prayed for him, set him apart to help shepherd God's flock. So he is a pastor. He is Pastor Richard, or Pastor Bulbs, as I like to call him. (laughs) Yet, even while Rich is very friendly, he's a great guy, he's very friendly, Uh, he's gotten to know a number of you, he hasn't yet gotten to know most of you who could rightly say, well, he hasn't really pastored me yet. And so on the one hand, here's my point, the Spirit has officially set him apart as our pastor. And yet, he is only just becoming our pastor. You see that? Let me give you one more example of this. Another way to picture this idea of sanctification is a newborn baby. Especially for a father. Alright, when a child emerges from the inner depths... (laughs) was an anatomy major, I don't know. <laughs> he, he or she legally becomes your son or daughter, right? You sign papers, it becomes official. And while mom seems to often be more prone to see some obscure resemblance of the child to herself, to the father, to Uncle Lou, you know, this sort of thing, uh, the father is usually keeping it real. To him, the child is at first a just mass of pinkish hue. In fact, I've had more than a couple dads describe their newborn baby to me as resembling an alien child. <laughs> In a moment of honesty, <laughs> he looks like an alien. I understand. But it's not until a child grows, right? One years old, two years old, three years old, does he or she begin to take on that family resemblance? So it is with the Christian life. You are your father's child when you trust Jesus. You are your father's child. You're born again into his family through simple trust in Jesus. And yet, you are just beginning. You're just beginning to take on the family resemblance. Well, Joshua and Generation Next have been delivered from a a, a life of aimless wandering. They've been delivered from the wilderness, having crossed over into the promised land by an act of God. But they don't automatically obtain the land they're promised. They haven't fully gotten what they have. They are officially property owners, but each family doesn't just race to their parcel of land and pitch a tent. Why not? Because God doesn't usually work that way. He is wise and he knows the human heart. If we race ahead, we'll usually race ahead of him. Were we to receive our entire inheritance immediately and all at once, like the prodigal son, we would blow it 
even as we're forgetting the person who gave it to us. That's the way we tend to work. One must learn obedience. And in fact, the next 18 chapters of Joshua, we're not going to go through all of them, but the next 18 chapters of Joshua through chapter 22 are about this process of God's people slowly receiving the land, their promise, as they learn to trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey. Or there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, <laughs> trust and obey. All right. Some of you guys know that song. We, <laughs> we must learn obedience. We must learn obedience. And from our vantage point, there seems like nothing short of an inefficient inconvenience to go through this stuff rather than just getting it all at once and right away. Consider, if you will, the context and God's timing here in Joshua 5. God's people are in a perfect pounce position. Look, look with me here in verse 1, Joshua 5. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to the west, this is the area where God's people are going to inherit, and all the kings of the Canaanites who are by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. What does that mean? This is typically the moment when any good army recognizes weakness, right? They gather their officers, prepare the bulwarks, assemble the troops, and go in for the kill. Instead, God tells them to stop. And not just stop. First, get circumcised. Adult circumcision, mind you. All right? Using whatever is available. Do I need to describe circumcision? I'm going to assume you know what circumcision is for the sake of decency this morning. All right? See, by this time, metal instruments would have been available and available for use. But they only had available hard, jagged rock to use. And so you get this specific used flint. Let's just say it took more than a few days to heal in in the nether regions, all right? During which time, by the way, okay, well, we got to heal. Let's just go ahead and celebrate a festival while we're at it. Why not? Well, why not? They're going to have to find an unblemished lamb, bitter herbs, and make some unleavened bread in a foreign country. Now, hopefully you get the point, which God's people certainly got, that God's strategy here was inefficient in that it failed to take advantage of an easy military victory and it was inconvenient in that no one felt like getting circumcised before battle, right? While preparing a meticulous meal in a foreign country with little to no ingredients at their fingertips. But it's the inefficient inconvenience of obedience that is God's way of both growing people and showing off salty lives to people accustomed to sameness. People living all around us aren't phased or impressed by sameness or typical life strategies, but they're impressed by radical difference. And that happens through this kind of inefficient inconvenience. So, first, obedience helps us become what we are. But to last in a life of obedience 
You must obey in the right order. This is our second point this morning. You must obey in the right order. After you trust Jesus, you'll begin to hear different ideas of the best way to live and the best way to grow in the Christian life. They often arrive in the form of a key, a promise, a formula, a method, or a title of a best-selling Christian book. This is what you must do. And if you haven't heard these keys, formulas, methods for growing in the Christian life yet, you will. And if you wish to accelerate that process, just turn on Westar TV, channel 21. And you'll get like a boatload of these kinds of things. Here in Joshua, though, we receive a true, lasting pattern for Christian growth. It's a pattern that continues through the Bible, and it's made clear, made explicit in the New Testament. And the pattern goes like this. Deliverance, obedience, blessing. We'll say that again. Deliverance, obedience, blessing. Or dob, D-O-B, date of birth. All right, if you want to think of it that way. And it's important that we understand this order, that we get this, that we believe this, that we listen to Bible teachers who teach this order, because getting this out of order will stunt your growth as a Christian. And I want to give you some examples of what it's like to unfortunately get this out of order as you start living the Christian life. So here's some examples. First, obedience, delivering, blessings. Starting with obedience, then deliverance, then blessings. If it's this way. If I focus my life and efforts on doing enough to please God, then he'll accept me and deliver me and then begin to bless me circumstantially. This order is also known as legalism. Yes, you believe in Jesus, but it's really being a good person first that makes God smile and that triggers his acceptance of you and that overflows into, uh, into blessing to giving you more things and to blessing you. And it, but as you try your best, your very best to please God, you begin to question whether it's ever going to be enough to please Him. And you question whether it's going to be enough because it isn't enough to please a perfect and holy God. And so you either wallow in constant inward guilt and despair, I'm never doing enough, I'm not doing enough, or you would just abandon that way of living. You abandon morality. You abandon obedience for self-indulgence. Because you recognize this morality, obedience thing doesn't work. I can't actually do it. Can't get this out of order. Here's a second example of getting this out of order. You start with blessings, then move to obedience, and then deliverance. You'll also hear this about the Christian life, that God wants to bless you with your best life now. In fact, he wants to bless you especially now. Come to Jesus because he will give you every desire of your heart. He'll make you wealthy. He'll heal any and all infirmities and make you prosperous in every way. This also takes the form of the gospel of felt needs. It's the idea that Jesus is the solution to unhappiness. Jesus is the solution to unemployment. Jesus is the solution to addiction, to heartache, to pain, to anxiety, to discontent. And while, yes, Jesus Christ often does solve these problems and will eventually, when he takes us home to be with him, he is first and foremost the solution to sin and separation from God. 
Jesus came to deliver people from their rebellion and their separation from God to bring people to him. And what happens is this false idea here, if, if these felt needs are met, if these circumstances in our life are all met, you'll want to obey God. But the reality is that those who try to obey primarily in response to the tangible felt blessings will stop obeying when the faucet stops flowing. Right? And so when the, when the faucet of these felt blessings turns off, where's the motivation to obey Jesus anymore? And yet we experience that all the time in real life. Where life isn't all about just blessing these tangible felt blessings. Let me give you one more example of getting this out of order. Deliverance first, blessings, then obedience. This is often described as the victorious Christian life. Are you living the victorious Christian life? Not only are you delivered from the penalty of sin, but you're a completely changed person, a new person right away and in every respect. And so you inherit all the blessings, all the blessings in Christ right away. You inherit everything. And a failure to receive all the blessings upon deliverance is because you are either deceived by Satan or you lack faith. Why aren't you healed? Why aren't you receiving everything? Well, you, you, you don't quite have enough faith. Why, why, why is it that you are, aren't seeing every blessing come immediately when you're delivered? Well, you're, you don't, just don't see it. You're deceived. But experience, life experience, as well as the Bible indicates that you still struggle with temptation and with disobedience even as you love Jesus. Does that make sense? These are deadly ways of living the Christian life, friends. But here in Joshua, this is so cool. We we get obedience in the right order. It's just fascinating to see this this pattern here. First you get deliverance, then obedience, And as you obey, you see God flow blessings out. Look with me here. It's brilliant the way this is set up. God delivers his people first from wandering in the wilderness by decisively intervening to cross them over the Jordan River into this new land and this new life. Right, chapters 3 and 4, we saw a great summary of this. We also get a little summary here in verse 1 of chapter 5 where we read that Yahweh has dried up the waters of the Jordan until the people crossed over to new life. God delivers his people first. God then asks his people to respond through obedience. I have delivered you. I have crossed you over into new life. Now respond through obedience. Doing what he asks even when it doesn't make sense. Right? And that's how we get circumcision and keeping the Passover celebration. It doesn't make sense to do this now. We're about to wipe out all these people. They're vulnerable. They're weak. Let's get them now. But God asks his people to obey. And finally, we see the blessing part. So deliverance, obedience, and then he further blesses them. Notice, as they obey. This is brilliant. Look at this. Verses 11 through 12, chapter 5. Look what it says here. And the, the day after the Passover, so they, they obey God in an unlikely, inconvenient, inefficient way, celebrate this Passover in the middle of nowhere. The day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, this promised land, unleavened cakes, parched grain, 
And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. That's what they had been eating. That's what God had been feeding them. But they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. For the first and only time in the book of Joshua, this chapter here, chapter 5, describes this promised land as the land flowing with milk and honey. It's not a coincidence it mentions it here because having faithfully obeyed in the old things, circumcision, Passover, God gives them the first taste of this new land. He gives them a little bit of the milk and the honey, the blessings. What's so cool here is the language in verse 11 and 12 stresses the immediacy of blessing that comes in response to obedience. Did you see that? The immediacy of the blessing. Look, verse 11, on that very day, Verse 12, the the manna that they'd gotten before ceased the day after. Again in verse 12, they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. The language is very purposeful here to suggest, okay, I'm going to deliver you, and as you respond in obedience, I'm going to immediately, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to immediately bless you that day, that year. If you hope to last if you hope to last, friends, and, and living obediently, you must make sure to obey in the right order. Begin by focusing your life. Begin each day with remembering, reflecting, being fueled by God's deliverance through Jesus Christ. Drag yourself, your, your rebellion, your cold, hard heart to the cross of Jesus Christ, and recall what he did for you there to deliver you from a life of decay and an eternity of death. He crossed you over. Focus each morning. on. Start to pray about it. Sing about it. Think about it. Talk about it with others. God's deliverance. And then obey it in response to deliverance. It won't be hard because you'll see how great his deliverance is and you'll want to Respond in thanksgiving with the life of obedience. Obey in response to his deliverance. And that's how it works, friends. That's what we see in the New Testament. Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness leads to change. 2 Corinthians 5.14 that says that his love, his deliverance, compels us to want to share his good news with others. Romans 12.1 says that to offer all of who you are to him as a response to his mercy. It was a merciful act in our life. If his undeserved deliverance doesn't compel you, fuel you, motivate you, nothing will. Everything else will fail. Every other strategy. So focus your life on his deliverance. Obey in response to his deliverance. And then anticipate that as you obey, God will generally bless you. God will generally bless you. I say generally on purpose. I'll show you why. Look with me in Proverbs 20, verse 7, what it says. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So the idea that if you walk with God in integrity and obedience in a righteous way, you'll see the blessing in your life and even the lives of your children. What about the next proverb here? Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life will find righteousness, will find honor. As you walk in righteousness, do the right sorts of things, you're going to find life. You're going to find righteousness. People are going to honor you. Proverbs are the perfect 
are, they're perfect for hammering home this point. Because Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, are not meant to be read as promises. Let me repeat that. Proverbs are not meant to be read as promises. Rather, they're meant to be read as wisdom from God that usually, uh, even statistically, if you want to think that way, tend to be true. They tend to be true about life. And so, for example, we'll read one more here. Proverbs 13, 21 is a great example of this. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. We know that's not always the case. We know that people who are following Christ enter suffering, and that's how God sometimes even grows people. Disaster doesn't always come for those who aren't living for him, although it eventually will. But that tends to happen, right? Usually, statistically, disaster finds those who live for themselves only. They begin to lose trust. They lose friends and family members who grow more distant from them. Self-destructive behavior begins to catch up with them. So we see this pattern. Again, deliverance. When you focus on deliverance, you want to respond with obedience, and then God tends to bless your life. If you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. Here's our sermon in a nutshell. For a Christian life of inefficient inconvenience, let his deliverance fuel your obedience. If you really want to last in doing inefficient, inconvenient things, his deliverance has to be what fuels your obedience. Because obedience will often seem like the thing that makes the least sense, the last thing you feel like doing. When I counsel couples in preparation for marriage, get together with them, one thing I'm sure to mention, in fact, I mentioned in the first session, is that there will be a morning or evening when you're lying awake, in bed, silently thinking to yourself, why did I marry this person? And we laugh, but it's seri- there's a serious moment where this happens, right? You've been married in life. I remember saying this to one couple, of course, before they were married. I said this to one couple in particular, uh, and when I did, uh, his blood just drained from his face. And he turned to his future spouse and said, but not with us, right, honey? She just looked at him and nodded her head. But he said, well, but what would we do if... if you didn't feel love for me anymore. And she just simply responded, well, there's always obedience. (laughs) But a moment later, she said rightly, but I'm pretty sure I would need help with that. She's right. There's times when there's always obedience, but we need help to last in obeying when it doesn't feel convenient. Let me give you some examples of inconvenient obedience today. What does this look like in our lives today? I'm just going to list some examples. I want to encourage you just to simply listen and ask, is this me? It seems more efficient and convenient for those of us who are parents to raise our voice when disciplining our kids. Right? There's immediate effects. If you raise your voice, now my kids will listen. Versus consistent, time-consuming, get down on their level, tender discipline. And yet we know eventually, and usually sooner as opposed to later, our children begin to mimic our methods 
of handling conflict and confrontation. What we convey to them, they start to convey back to us and to others. I'll give you another example. It's easier, it seems more uh, efficient to share the good news of Jesus by bringing a person to a Sunday service. Let the expert, right, do his thing. And then let him close the deal with God's help. Right? What is, that's how we share Jesus. Right? Invite someone to church. Let him do his thing. Let, he can close the deal. But the Bible seems to give a different picture that each of us is supposed to make the most of every opportunity we get in real life and always be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have. Each of us is supposed to be ready and prepared to share the good news of Jesus and how that could radically change someone's life. In fact, it's more effective that way. But, you know, it seems more convenient, more efficient to, you know, just read a devotional or a book about the Bible, which uses contemporary language, modern examples, and understands that Facebook is a ministry. The Bible doesn't really get that. But we're told, actually we're told here in Joshua 1.8, remember this? To not let this book depart from our mouths, but to meditate on it. Soak it in day and night. While an immediate problem seems to require an immediate action or plan or plan of action, We're instead told by God to first commit any and everything to him by prayer and petition. Yes, we want to act. We want to solve problems. We want to fix it. But God said, no, first come to me. Lift up everything to me by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. In fact, our big event, Sunrise Community Church's big event this fall is prayer. On the evening of Saturday, November 17th, we are going to encourage our entire church to pray all the way up until the worship service the next morning. Each person to come for at least an hour, one one-hour segments, to pray for the church, for the island, for the nations. We're going to call it 12 hours to make the sun stand still. In honor of Joshua 10, which we'll be talking about that morning, Joshua 10, which says there has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord obeyed the voice of a man. When Joshua asked God to make the sun stand still, and God listened and answered his prayer. It's amazing. So we're calling it 12 hours to make the sun stand still. Now there are all kinds of possibilities and opportunities to reach people. Let's grow the church. Let's do something big. And our strategy is to inconvenience everyone Saturday night through prayer. That's our strategy. Inefficient, inconvenient, Let me give you two more. It seems efficient, even wise, to live with a member of the opposite sex before marriage. Just delay. Let's just test the waters and save on rent. All right, well, that's more efficient. Maybe I can give more to the church or to other people and things like that. But Hebrews 13 is pretty clear on this. It tells us to make sure we keep the marriage bed pure to hold marriage and honor before everyone looking on, for an on-looking world, and to flee from both adultery and from any form of sexual activity outside the confines of marriage. To flee from it. But I'm in a lease. I know it's inconvenient. Give you one more. 
if there's tension or conflict between you and someone else in your life, it would just seem wise to kind of just let it go, let time heal all wounds, and keep worshiping God here this morning. But Jesus actually says you should leave this worship service right now, admit any wrongdoing on your part, and seek forgiveness and reconciliation with that person. That's inconvenient. That's inefficient. So why is anyone leaving right now? (laughs) No conflict, I guess. You're welcome to leave if you do have that. It's great. Jesus says, leave your gift at the worship altar and go. It's radical. It's inconvenient. God calls us, though, to be inconvenienced by obedience, doing old, dusty, archaic-sounding commands that seem out of touch, inefficient, inconvenient, but such a life will stand out as salty to a world that is accustomed to believe only if it's convenient. The world is not impressed with obedience only if it's convenient. That's what it does. A comedian, Louis C.K., I don't know if you know who this guy is. Louis C.K., <laughs> this is not a funny quote, but he gives an honest portrait, I think. I heard him give this honest portrait of how most of the world thinks and lives. He said, you know, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I like that part. I like the belief part. I call them my little beliefs. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way, forget about it. Hear that? I like belief. It makes me feel good. But if they get in the way, forget about it. What about you this morning? Here at church, you might believe even. But if something I've said or something you know God is saying to you or clearly says in Scripture gets in the way, will you be inconvenienced? Do you believe Jesus truly delivered you from death to a new life? If so, might he inconvenience you for a moment? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This brilliant pattern we see here in Joshua 5, God's deliverance, people responding through obedience, and then you blessing them in the circumstances of their lives as they obey you in ways that don't make sense, in ways that seem inefficient, in ways that seem old. I mean, come on, Lord. Really? The circumcision, that was so Abraham. Passover, that was so two generations ago, maybe one. Father, that is how we grow as Christians. And that is how an onlooking world will see that we live different sorts of lives that will pique their interest, that will help them see, man, I want what that person has. How do they live differently in a world where I know I see decay and I'm decaying on the inside? Help us, Lord, get this order right. To focus each day, to focus our lives on your deliverance accomplished through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And then responding with obedience and then enjoying the blessings that you bless us with. Help us get the order right that we might grow and others might see Jesus in us. In your name we pray. Amen.